0: And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money. Markets. Life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And welcome to the show this morning. Of course, it is uh, Tuesday as we uh, get close to wrapping up the end of the month. Um, everybody's been kind of watching this tropical storm Medallion now a Category One hurricane Floridians now getting out their ice chests and lawn chairs to get ready for the impact. <laughs> so, you know that's you know it's it's funny because you know when when we have hurricanes here in Texas everybody's like eh whatever you know everywhere else in the country like oh my gosh a hurricane's coming in and yeah (laughs) I'm looking forward to more stories about Florida man (laughs) don't worry we'll get plenty yeah so anyway but that that hurricane is uh coming in right now it's probably going to hit the northern side of the west coast of Florida and then kind of hook through uh to the Carolinas but uh, again kind of uh, you know much needed rain pretty much everywhere everybody's like could could you please come here we need some rain It's just been a lack of any lately um so a few things to kind of get into this morning um you know we'll talk a little bit about the markets as we get ready to wrap up the end of the year again september tends to be a weaker month except for when it's already following a weak month in august september tends to be kind of flattish but again not a whole lot of excitement in September and then you have October, November, December which is typically the strong the, well that's the beginning of the six strongest months of the year and you typically have better performance heading into the year. We've talked about that before, but the one kind of thing here is going to be the economic data. And this is going to be something we're watching very closely here now you know a lot of the ism manufacturing indexes they've been negative here for quite some time a lot of the regional fed manufacturing indexes those have been negative here for some time and the question is of course is is there going to be a catch up here where you know the markets begin to respond to the weakness of the economic data or are the markets anticipating a turn in that data to where the economic data becomes stronger right do we start to see better kind of a better push of economic activity. But again, there's such a dichotomy of things that are going on right now. We'll get into some of those this morning, but uh, interest payments on student loans set to start on Friday and September the 1st. And of course, that'll, the, and the kind of the payments will begin uh, back on October the 1st. But again, that's a big question here. You know, How much of an impact to retail sales is that going to be? Um, The other question, of course, is higher interest rates, which have been weighing on the consumer. How much of an impact on that is going to be on retail sales later this year, particularly as wages slow? And of course, we're seeing some of the economic data begin to weaken on the employment side. Um, Does that translate through to further weakness in the economy? And There's certainly good arguments for both sides of this, and this has been the big debate between the markets and everything else uh, as of late, is, is what is actually going to happen here is there going to be a recession? Those type of things. And again, right now, the, 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 the vast consensus has now changed from last year, where everybody was definitely convinced there was going to be a recession. Now it's, everybody's completely convinced it's going to be a soft landing, like we saw in 1995. And here's what's interesting about those periods in history where they talk about, oh, the Fed engineered a soft landing. Well, did they actually engineer a soft landing or was the recession just delayed for reasons that were outside of the Fed's control? Because every time the Fed has hiked rates, there's always been a recession every single time. It just didn't necessarily happen immediately. And this has been one of the kind of the big debates as of late is that, well, the Fed hiked rates last year. We have to have a recession. Well, since we didn't have a recession this year, well, obviously this time is different and it's a soft landing. Is it? or is it just delayed? And see, this is gonna be the question that individuals have to deal with in terms of managing money and kind of looking forward down the road as to what's happening. Look, right now though, uh, again, the markets are very convinced, they're very bullish. Earnings, Earnings estimates are still rising here, so everybody's still expecting that things are going to be better going forward right now and that's feeding into the bullishness of the stock market. And the stock markets have clearly become much more bullish as of late, and despite the fact we've had a bit of correction here over the last month, really hasn't taken away a lot of that more bullish exuberance, particularly in technology companies and AI, et cetera. A new uh, new company that's out now that's basically building open AI uh, tools. So if you want to build AI, they have open source AI tools. Uh, they just picked up about a $4 billion valuation on the latest fund, round of funding on the private side. So, again, everybody's piling into that chase, right? Everybody's piling into those AI chases. Okay, here's what you need to know before the bell this morning because the market did rally yesterday. And we had talked about, you know, hey, this market's got to get some, some legs to it here. It's pretty oversold on a short-term basis. Uh, The MACD sell signal starting to flatten out here. So that's starting to head up here towards a turn. So a couple more days of positive action. We're going to get a MACD buy signal um, with the market being in a fairly decent position after a 5% correction from the peak for a rally. Now, the market is right now going to challenge today. As we open up the markets, we're gonna challenge the 20 and the 50 day moving average, which are literally sitting right on top of each other right now. So, again, when we kind of take a look at, at what the markets are doing uh, at the moment, it's just a function that we're challenging that first level of resistance, and we've gotta get through that level so that we can start to see a, a push higher here. So, again, this is kind of the first challenge of resistance is going to be kind of the first important point that we've got to deal with, a move higher through that, that's going to clear the way for a market rally back to the previous high. So, you know, one of the things that we're going to be talking about here over the next few days, in particular, as we kind of go through the cycles, has the market set the high for the year? That's going to be the question. And, you know, do markets have to start dealing with economics here for the rest of this year? And so markets kind of either trend sideways or lower through year end, or, is the market going to break out of this previous high that we set back in June to July and make a move higher into year end? There's kind of bets on both sides of the ledger for that right now, but initially right now, what we've got to do is get through this first level of resistance, uh, this has been a very textbook correction so far. Uh, not a big jump in volatility. No big, you know, kind of screaming down days of any sort. Uh, the market came down. Kind of, you know, technically tested uh, sup- uh, a good level of support right there at the 100-day moving average in these previous lows. So again, a very normal textbook correction from overbought to oversold. MACD through its current oscillation, very normal. So again, nothing surprisingly, uh, you know, bearish about this. This, nothing alarming about this correction, very textbook correction. So now the market's in a better position to make another leg higher here. And this gives you an opportunity to put some money to work. We've been doing that same thing here over the last couple of weeks, is kind of nibbling at some stocks that we want to own uh, here at lower levels, you know, kind of a better entry point to put money to work. But this is the, the big challenge for investors. You know, at the high, everybody wants to buy in because the market can't go high, it can, can only go higher you know after this correction all of a sudden nobody wants to buy anything because markets are going to crash so you know it's always that psychology of investing that keeps us from doing the things we that we should be doing and again this market's had a very textbook correction now Um, What's the bearish side of this and what could happen? Of course, we have to maintain a position on that, obviously. So if the market does fail here and then take out this 100-day moving average, we are going to go lower. Uh, That will change the very definite trajectory of this market from bullish to more bearish, and that would certainly suggest that we would have a bigger correction heading into year-end. So uh, again, right now, this is a very textbook correction that suggests the market's going to move higher. However, as is always the case, we always have to consider that bearish side as well, that risk side, and say, okay, what could go wrong here? And what could go wrong here is something that spooks the markets in the next few days. We have a correction, take out support, and then that's going to change the whole dynamic of what we're talking about here over the next couple of months. So, again, is that a possibility? Absolutely, and we need to consider it. But that's what you need to know before the bell this morning. When we come back in to, uh, after the break, we'll talk a little bit about expectations at the end of the year. Has the market set the high for the year? We'll talk about that and what that means to your money and more right here on The Real Investment Show. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the Internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. So, welcome back to the show this morning. And of course, uh, one of the the big questions is, as we just uh, discussed, is whether or not that the market has hit the high for the year or not. And that's going to be the big question. You know, and and this is kind of a a big point of date. We had you know five months of a rally earlier this year. The market put in about a fifteen percent, sixteen percent gain. And at that time, you know, in July, markets were only going to go higher from here. It's all about AI, the AI chase, you know, and so forth and so on. And, you know, now all of a sudden, everybody's starting to go, well, you know, well, maybe the top's in and we're going to go lower now and the bull market rally is over. You know, did it end, right? This is the big debate. And, and, of course, it doesn't really matter what side of the camp you're on. The, the point is, is that we have to navigate the market for what it is, not what we expect it to be. And again, we don't know that from one day to the next. We just have to, and this is why we pay so much attention to technical analysis, and we look at that in the mornings, you know, here, here on the show, is to let the market tell us what it's doing rather than trying to guess at what it's doing, right? Now, we can all come up with theories, and we can come up with, you know, ideas and thoughts and, and this and that and everything, but at the end of the day, it's politics, it's geopolitics, it's economics, it's earnings, and, you know, uh, kind of fundamentals that drive the markets, right? And earnings estimates. It's also a lot about sentiment. So you've got to kind of look at all these factors and, and whether or not that they lead to a better environment for the stock market or not. And this is why we pay attention to all these different things, right? We pay attention to the politics, the geopolitics, pay attention to the economics. Also pay attention to the sentiment and price, right? Because that's what all, at the end of the day, that's what that's what drives your money. Tax and policy changes impact your money, right? Earnings impact your money. Sentiment impacts your money. So these are all, all very important. So at the beginning of this year, we had a lot of positive sentiment. And again, as we've talked about, um, what's really kind of been keeping the markets elevated has been this massive amount of, of liquidity still coming into the markets from you know, the uh, you know, trillions of dollars we spent during the pandemic and, and post-pandemic, but then also the Inflation Reduction Act now another $1.7 trillion. Of money that's being wasted within the economy, but keeping support elevated near term. But a lot of those policies and programs now coming to an end, as we, as we talked about at the open, starting on Friday, interest payments on student loans restart. Payments are going to restart on October the 1st. And that's going to be a question of whether or not and how much that impacts retail sales. Why is that important? Why is, that, why is that important? Well, retail sales make up about 40% of PCE, personal consumption expenditures. Personal consumption expenditures make up nearly 70% of GDP. So if you're thinking that we're going to avoid a recession, right, this certainly is an impact to that. Now, how big of a magnitude is that on retail sales? We don't know yet. We'll find out, right? We can all guess. I mean, we know what the numbers are. 44 million student loan borrowers. They've all got payments. Do they make them? Right. Or not. Right. So we won't know. We can mathematically kind of guess at what that impact is going to be, but we don't know until we actually get there. Right. So this is the this is the challenge. You know, in the 18th century, Jean-Jacques Rousseau um, wrote that the world of reality has its limits. The world of imagination is boundless. And that's really kind of the function of the market is that markets are driven ultimately by sentiment. What do we think, right? It's, it's, it's a market job, buyers and sellers. And so what does the vast majority of the buyers and sellers think at any one time? Because both think they're right, right? If I'm selling something, I believe I'm right. I'm selling something because I think it's overvalued or it's going to go down in price or I've reaped all the benefit out of it, whatever it is, but I'm selling because I think I'm right. There's some guy that's buying it from me thinking that I'm wrong and that it's only going to go higher. Kind of the premise of the greater fool theory, that there's always somebody else out there willing to buy at a higher price, and a lot of times that's correct. But we take a look back this year so far. It's obviously been much stronger than many people anticipated last year. Last year, in the depths of the decline, we were, you know, and and again, that was not a bear market. It was just a correction. But in the midst of that decline, that correction, everybody was convinced that, well, you know, could only go lower from here. And then, of course, since October, the market's been rallying and and really has defied expectations. I mean, you had a banking crisis right in the middle of it. and Everybody was like, "Eh, whatever. Fed comes in, bails it out. Now it's all about AI, AI this, AI this. And, and if you want to have a good response to your earnings report, you just make sure that during your earnings call, you mention AI like 58 times. And that gets you a boost. It doesn't really matter if you have anything to do with AI or not. If you just say, hey, we're going to get into AI or we're going to use AI to do this or that or the other thing, then you get a boost to your stock price, right? It's all about AI. Obviously, NVIDIA, the, the poster child of, of that AI chase. I thought it was interesting, uh, NEC coming out with a new robot forklift for factory workers. Doesn't get sick, doesn't take time off, and uses AI to do the task in the warehouse, right? So again, you know, there's, there, there was recent articles out talking about 300 million jobs will be displaced ultimately by AI. And we talk about these things because, you know, whether or not you believe that is irrelevant, the question is, is if that happens, what does that mean to the world economy, right? So at the end of the day, what drives stock prices? And that, that, again, we go back to the function of where do revenues come from? So if earnings and earnings estimates are what drive stock prices, and revenue is where earnings are derived from, and revenue is derived from economic activity, the choices that we make, That drive economics is ultimately, and that comes—that's political, that's financial, that is sentiment—all driving economics. How do we feel about things? That's what drives revenue. So, when you start talking about where we are in the markets today and where you think they're going to be in the future, we've got to evaluate all these things. So. You have to start looking at the arguments being made for the markets. What's going to drive earnings growth? What's going to continue to support economic activity? And then compare that to all the other stuff that's going on that may work against that argument. So right now, the bulls believe that it's a soft landing scenario. We're going to avoid recession. And that earnings and revenue, earnings are going to grow because economic growth is going to grow. And as a function of economic growth growing, revenue is going to uh, expand. And that's going to support a fairly sharp increase in earnings earnings growth over the course of the next year. Maybe that's the case. Francis Voltaire said once that uh, those who can make you believe absurdities can also make you commit atrocities. So, again, we have to come back and we have to examine the drivers of the market. And, again, there's a lot of things out there that certainly suggest that there is more risk coming down the road than not. I mean, again, student loan repayments are just one thing. Higher interest rates are another thing. Real interest rates are another thing. But there's this big dichotomy, right? It's a big dichotomy between what people think about the markets and what will be the reality of the market. Look, I'm not making a case one way or the other because I don't know. Again, going back to what we said earlier, this is why we take a look at so much of the technical analysis of the market from one day to the next because that's what we know. We know what the market's telling us, right? The, The market is a reflection of the herd. But... In the very short term, and again, this is where we are right now, from one day to the next, right? The market does what it's going to do. It's a voting machine. It's it's simply just a measure of the buyers and the sellers, both thinking they're right. But over the course of the next 12 to 18 to 24 months, 36 months, four or five years, The market is going to weigh the fundamentals. You know, Warren Buffett once said that. He said, you know, in the short term, the market's a voting machine. In the long term, it's a weighing machine. And we're going to weigh those fundamentals longer term. And that's interest rates. That's monetary policy. That's political policy. That's all these choices that we make that impact economic activity. And the choices that we're making really across the board are not good. There's very few good policies being put into place that will inure to stronger economic activity, growth, and revenue. Those are all going to have a negative impact across the board. Interest rates, monetary policy, very restrictive when you look at it compared to the neutral rate going back to the 1970s. Very, very restrictive. Every time that you've had monetary policy this restrictive, you've had a recession. Why? Because if you have restricted monetary policy, that means less money is getting spent in the economy. It means less revenue. So these are, the, these are the weights that will be measured over the next months and, and couple of years. But in the short term, we're just going to vote on what we think, right? <laughs> this is the big driver. So the euphoria of late spring, I want to read to you from a, a clip this morning from my friend Doug Cass. The euphoria of the late spring, which cater to the animal spirits and FOMO, were abated by the machines, algos, at the foundation of quant strategies that respond to share price and stock price momentum. That is not broadened out with financials back to their March 2023 levels and small cap indexes like the Russell not moving. We'll talk about why that's important when we come back from the break. Don't go away. Investment Advice Blog. It's required reading for the informed investor. Catch it today at RealInvestmentAdvice.com. So, just for the break, talking a little bit about market sentiment, what drives markets short-term, what drives markets long-term, and these are important because investors. In particular, say one thing and do another, right? I can't tell you how many thousands of people that I have met with over the years. I mean, I've been doing this for 9,000 years. So if I met with one person a year, you know, it's it's a lot of people. Um, But I can't tell you how many people that I meet with, talk to, interact with, like, oh, I'm a long-term investor. but then they're glued to their screen every day watching every tick of the market up and down, right? Stressing over it. Well, I thought you were a long-term investor. If I'm a long-term investor, I'm buying something today that I think is gonna give me value over the course of the next five, 10 years. Why do, I, why do I care what the market does from one day to the next? It's irrelevant. But see, this is what the, we've done to people uh, really since 1999 in particular, As we attach the market to the internet and said, hey, guess what? Now you can trade everything real time. Trade your brains out. It's great for for Wall Street, right? Money in motion creates fees. So the more you trade, the more you throw things around, the more money the Wall Street makes. They love that, right? Makes them rich. Doesn't do really, really much for you, but it makes them rich, right? So this is why you have financial media channels. Right. Telling you every day what's going on. One news flow to the next. Money in motion creates fees. Reality is, there's nobody's a long term investor anymore. The average holding time is less than six months. Used to be six years. Right. Not six months. So if we're all going to be traders and gamblers, then let's just own that and stop this nonsense of saying I'm a long term investor when you're not. You know, if you're measuring your performance from January the 1st to present, you're not a long-term investor. So quit playing that game and thinking you're a long-term investor because you're not. You're trading the markets. And so just accept that, adopt it, and then manage accordingly. Right? There's nothing wrong with it. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with being a, a trader or a speculator in the markets. There's nothing wrong with that at all. But don't say you're one thing and then do another because that's what's eroding your returns over time. You're buying stuff that's fundamentally cheap, but they're not giving it time to work, right? And this is the sentiment that we've driven into the markets and why it's such an important part. Politics, again, has, has a big impact. Today, the Biden administration is announcing medications that will be negotiated for Medicare, okay? Okay. So they're going to start pushing down prices of Medicare, of what Medicare will pay for certain drugs. Okay? Now, that's got a good positive benefit, right? Because now people that are on Medicare can get their drugs cheaper. But if you're invested in the companies that make those drugs, well, not so good for earnings. So, see, these all have an impact on each other. So political policy, important. Geopolitical policy, important. Russia, Ukraine war, right? Um, Finance, economics, emotion, sentiment, gambling. All this has an impact. So we have to pay attention to that. And so what we are talking about just for the break is that, uh, you know, my friend Doug Cass, he says the euphoria of late spring, which is catered to the animal spirits and FOMO, right? Couldn't wait to get into AI. Had to be in the AI chase. Now, AI has been around for a decade, but over the last six months, it's the thing just got a, a boundless energy of and, and money chasing AI right now. So it's the weight of reality that's important. In other words, when does the reality set in to a market that is currently driven by sentiment and the fear of missing out? What's interesting is, you know, we were talking about FOMO last year. Last October, we were talking about FOMO. And it wasn't the FOMO of missing out on the decline. It was the FOMO of missing out on the bottom. Everybody was emailing me all of last year. like, as soon as the bottom's in the market, tell me so I can just throw my money back into the market. Could not wait to buy the bottom. And so in October when the market bottomed, what did we see? Everybody jumping back in because they just couldn't wait to get in. Now, we didn't really fix the valuation problem at all. We didn't correct the fundamental weights of the markets at all, but the markets bottomed enough that from a technical basis, I'm all in. And investors piled in, hedge fund managers piled in, professional investors piled in and drove markets through the peak in June, July. So here we are. Now going through this little bit of a correction, everybody's starting to panic again. But the question now is, does this become you know, a bigger issue? When does the weight of reality start to set in? And here's some kind of key points. The U.S. economy, still reasonably strong, but it's imbalanced. Those with large balance sheets, those with savings, real estate, equities, they're doing okay. Large chunk of the economy, the bottom 80%, not so much living paycheck to paycheck. Higher gas prices, higher food costs, certainly weighing on their ability to sustain their standard of living. But the upper 20%, they're doing okay right now. Inflation with the base effects, certainly improving. But a resumption of things that bring higher cost such as commodity prices, agriculture prices, food prices, gasoline prices, utility cost. don't know if you've gotten your utility bill lately. Ain't cheap. So that impacts those at the lower end that drive the economy. The top 20, and here's an important understanding, right? We, we often kind of pick, out, pick on the top 20% of the economy, 10%, but say, well, they got all the money. They also have most everything they want to have. So there's not a big economic push from them. Yes, when they go out, they make a big purchase. They purchase stuff, but by and large, they own the majority of their houses, right? So like, they're not going out buying a new house every day. They're not buying new cars every day. They're not buying new planes every day. They, by and large, have most of the stuff that they want. So they're mostly just kind of maintaining a standard of living and making investments. Those really don't drive the economic environment that much. The bottom 80% are out there every day buying stuff hand over fist because they need it to live. They're living that paycheck to paycheck life. So a big chunk of the economy is driven by that bottom 80% that is the most impacted by inflation, change in prices, etc. Tighter lending standards, higher credit card rates, those type of things. That's going to impact economic growth. So again, you know, right now we've had very strong economic growth because of all this money that's been stuck into the economy, but that's slowly leaving. As the Inflation Reduction Act passes through, more of that will come out of the economy. We'll begin to see slower rates of economic activity. Inflation at 3% is still too high. That's still impacting consumers. The deficit continuing to surge. That's leading to more debt issuance, higher interest rates, obviously, diverting more of tax revenue into service on the debt. Of course, already we're, we're over 100% of just revenues coming in just to cover interest on the debt and, and Social Security, welfare, prescription drug benefits, etc., all the mandatory spending which means that more debt has to be issued in order just to do the non-mandatory spending. So all this other stuff we want to spend money on, that's all coming out of debt. So the bigger the deficit gets, the slower economic growth becomes. A very, very high correlation between that. Federal Reserve is stuck right now. They can't lower rates at this point because if they lower rates... Then they're going to be charged with not caring about inflation. If they lower rates now, then you're probably going to get another surge, uh, you know, another surge in inflation. So they're stuck. So higher interest rates from the Fed, that's higher borrowing costs on the short end of the curve. Right. That's car loans, uh, you know, um, credit card rates, all that. Those are sustainable higher. Mortgage rates are higher because you do get a lift on the longer term from the short end. So that's impacting people wanting to buy a house. And I thought it was interesting this morning driving in. So when I built my ha- my so the house I sold back in July, we built that one with Toll Brothers. And when we were in the design process, I said, I didn't want a, a bathtub in the master bathroom because nobody in my family takes a bath. And like I, they had this big bathtub right in the middle of the bathroom. I'm like, take it out. I'd rather have the space. And I'm like, oh, we can't do that. We have to have a tub in the master bathroom. I'm like, why? What, what rule or law is there It says it's resale value? If you, don't have a master, if you don't have a tub in the master bath, it's going to hurt your resale value, so we require you to have it. So we had a tub in our master bathroom. <laughs> but now, because tubs are freaking expensive, home builders are now going, eh, I don't have to have a tub in the master bath anymore. And they're taking out living rooms of houses, to try to get houses to be more affordable so that young people can afford to buy them. So even home builders are having to cater to a group of buyers that have less money to spend. And, and so again, when we take a look at you know higher mortgage rates and those type of things, that impacts economic activity. So again, The question that we have to ask, and again, when you take a look at earnings and valuations, et cetera, all certainly questionable here. And so my point is, is that despite the fact that we have a very bullish sentiment behind the markets right now, we have to understand the weight of reality that's out there. And that could impact our markets as we head into 2024. So yeah, bullish short-term, no doubt about it. Price action is bullish. We still got to pay attention to those risks, that weight of reality, as we get into the next year. All right, be right back after the show. We're going to wrap up. Don't go away. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. So one of the other things that um, you know we've kind of been, you know, not talking about as of late, something that we you know need to ultimately focus on is China, because China has a big impact in terms of their monetary policy. Obviously, giant trade partner to the US, fifty billion. you know, quarterly, and it's just—it's just a huge trade trade partner to the U.S. in terms of imports and exports, and so so goes China. Um, so goes an impact on domestic markets, etc. So the question has become: China has yet so China's got lots of problems going on right now, and stuff that we talked about years ago has. Come home to roost, right? You remember a few years ago, we were here on the show, and this, this was five, six years ago, seven years ago now. And we were talking about how they were building these replica cities of the US, and they were building a, a kind of a replica of, the New York, of New York and replicas of other, other cities. And they were building these entire cities like literally overnight. It was amazing how fast they could build these things, but they were empty. Right, there was like nobody living there. Remember, there was this whole thesis that you have, you know, all these millions, hundreds of millions of people that live out in kind of the China farmland, so to speak, and all these poor, these poor Chinese were going to move into the cities and become productive cities, and China was going to dominate the world because you're going to have this mass migration of the cities, and it didn't happen. You know, they were building, um, you know, these massive transit systems that nobody was using. So, they, I mean, they were just spending trillions and trillions of dollars to, to have economic activity, right? But nobody used it. So it gave this artificial growth to China, and this was the big story, right? China's going to take over the world, it's, you know, a whole, whole nine yards. And now... We're seeing some of the ramifications. Evergrande, you know, the big real estate company is on the verge of bankruptcy. Lots of other problems economically within China. And China has to keep coming in and doing these monetary bailouts to try to keep the economy going. Now They're going to continue to do this, right? State-run economy. So China's just going to say, hey, you know, you're going to do this and you're going to do that. and. That's how you make the economy work. So, you know, when you have that much control over your economy, the government gets to control everything, right? And this is a lot of the way we're moving in the United States now, right? The administration wants more and more and more control. And it's not just the current. This has been current administrations (laughs) have been pushing for more and more control over the economy. Stuff that belongs to the states, Department of Education, Energy, those type of things have all been transferred to the power of the of the federal government. So again, control gives you better control over the economy. This is what China wants, and China has. But China's now gotten itself in, you know, and the problem with the policies, they're fine, right? This is always the 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 beauty of communism and the beauty of socialism and these type of things. In theory, it's great. It just doesn't ever work out that way because of human nature. So now China's got a problem. All this stuff that they did has basically kind of backfired, which basic economics was going to tell you was going to happen. But, you know, at the time, nobody believed it would, but here we are. But this has an impact on the global economy, has an impact on us, has an impact on our economy, has an impact on the global economy. So China is at, the, at this kind of this center point of the global economy. And everybody's looking to China to do a whatever-it-takes policy move. Kind of the Federal Reserve mantra, right? The ECB mantra. Where we'll do whatever it takes to bail out the economy. Now, let me just ask you a question, my friends. Is that really the economy that we want? Do we really want a whatever it takes monetary policy economy? Because it hasn't really worked. It's certainly bifurcated the wealth and the power structures within the economy, it's certainly driven a giant wedge between economies. So in theory, this whatever-it-takes type of move by central bankers to bail out the economy, certainly, yeah, it kept the economy out of a recession, but is that such a bad thing? You know, We've talked about before, is it really a bad thing to have a recession? See, we're so worried about recessions, but are they a bad thing? Forest fires, right? We've talked about this before. Forest fires, terrible thing. Actually healthy for the forest, right? Gets rid of all the underbrush, allows better oxygen, neutralize, uh, uh, fertilizes the soil with nutrients from the carbon and everything else that, that occurs. Forest fires, terrible. But not for the forest. Hurricanes are bad, right? Got a hurricane going into Florida. We've had hurricanes here in Houston, you know, Texas, everywhere else. Hurricanes are terrible, right? Cause a lot of devastation. Terrible. Then we rebuild. So, do we really want the avoidance of all the bad things? Do we really want the avoidance of a recession? Yes, recessions are terrible. People lose their jobs, they lose their house. Markets fall. Asset prices decline. It's bad. Don't want that. We don't want that recession. But is it really a bad thing? I was reading an article, an example the other day. Said that baby boomers are the luckiest generation alive. Baby boomers born between 1946 and 1965. They're the luckiest generation alive. Why? Are they the luckiest generation alive? Because the market has compounded by 14% on average from 1980 to 2000. They just had a a strip of unprecedented growth in the financial markets, making them the wealthiest generation on the planet. Lucky SOBs those are. Nobody talks about what they went through (laughs) to get there. You had a 20-year bear market with a negative 10% annualized rate of return in the 60s and 70s. You had surging rates of inflation, lackluster, you know, know, back-to-back recessions in the late 70s. And they had no debt to speak of, no deficits. We started 1980 at five times valuations with a five time div- with a five uh, percent dividend yield on stocks. I mean, it was a perfect moment in time where you had high inflation, high economic growth that was falling uh, inflation and interest rates were high and falling. economic growth was strong. it was also falling, but it was still strong um, and super low valuations, with high dividend yields. It was the perfect environment for money to grow. You could put money in a money market account and 3x your money over time. So, yeah, they were lucky. But they had to go through a bunch of crap to get there. I mean, you know, that's the point, right? And so when we take a look at this trying to avoid a recession, right, what do recessions do? They cleanse the economy. They reduce the debt. Through default bankruptcies, and yeah, I'm sorry, banks, you know, you can't get bailed out. You got yourself in this situation, you have to get yourself out of it. Earnings are going to decline. People are going to lose their jobs. The economy is going to slow down. Valuations are going to fall. And yes, you you cleanse that system. Just like a forest fire cleanses the forest, the recession cleanses the economic environment, giving everyone a better opportunity to grow with a more equal distribution of, of, of growth in the economy rather than this lopsided growth of the economy due to low interest rates that only benefit those with a lot of assets to invest. And if it's not apparent by now that after 15 years of doing this nonsense, and really we can go back you know, to the late 90s when we started this stuff. If it's not apparent by now that trying to avoid recessions is not a good thing, I don't know when we're going to learn the lesson. But we keep trying to figure out all new ways to, do, to avoid those recession rights, all new types of policies. You know, we're going to send checks to households. We're going to do MMT. We're going to do all this stuff because we don't want a recession. And the economic outcomes are always the same. It just creates a bigger division in the country, a bigger gap between the rich and the poor. And nothing really gets better. We just get further into debt. But hey, let's just keep doing the same thing over and over again, hoping for a different result, right? But this all comes down to, you know, what we talked about at the beginning, right? It's the political choices we make. It's who we vote for, who we put into office. It's who we drive. It's the things that we follow, the things that we believe that that lead to these outcomes. But at some point, you just got to accept the fact that you need a good recession. (laughs) China's still trying to avoid it. Just like the ECB, just like the U.S., China's no different. Is this the time that China's going to step up and do more of the whatever it takes to try to bail out their economy? Maybe that'll benefit ours for a little while longer? Maybe. But it seems to me at some point, we've got to make the decision to just let the chips fall where they may. Deal with the consequences and come out stronger on the other side. Wraps up the show for the day. Be back tomorrow. Have a great day.